peace of our Lord be with you. As you may have noticed from your own life with the Bible, the book of Jeremiah is a long, sad song, punctuated here and there and now and then by what might best be described as hope notes, small words of promise and hope scattered across a landscape of disappointment and despair. Because Jeremiah was written for the people of God during the exile, it rose from and is colored by a time of much disappointment and despair. Nebuchadnezzar and the army of Babylon had besieged the house of God and would carry away captive many of the people of God. And to make matters worse, the people of God were convinced that all this trouble had been sent to them from God to punish them for their sins, which took the grief of loss, which is bad enough, and added to it the grief of guilt, which is far and away the most painful grief of all. That is the setting of the Bible book we know as Jeremiah which helps explain why Jeremiah so often sounds so sad. In Jeremiah 4.19, for example, Jeremiah says, My anguish, my anguish, I am writhing in pain. In Jeremiah 8.18, Jeremiah says, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is is sick. In Jeremiah 9.1 he says, Oh that my eyes were a fountain of tears so that I could weep day and night. And in one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, Jeremiah 15.18, Jeremiah asks God, why is my pain unceasing and my wound incurable? To which God replies in Jeremiah 30, 15, Your pain is incurable because your guilt is so great. Pain upon pain, grief upon grief. The book of Jeremiah is one long, sad song. A long, sad song punctuated here and there and now and then by what 
might best be described as hope notes. Little notes of promise and hope scattered all around the landscape of disappointment and despair. Take, for example, Jeremiah 4.27, where immediately after saying, I will make a desolation of your entire land, God says to the people of God, yet I will not make a full end of you. Same thing happens in the very next chapter. Jeremiah 5.18, where immediately on the heels of promising to punish the people of God because of their sin, God says, but even in those days, I will not make a full end of you. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, God says to the exiled people of God, whose lives were turning out in ways they never would have dreamed or imagined. I have plans for you. Plans to give you a future with hope. Sadness upon sadness, interrupted by hope note upon hope note. Here and there, now and then, brief little notes of hope rising from Jeremiah's long, sad song of despair, including those words we read from Jeremiah this morning, that real estate transaction we got to sit in on, where Jeremiah bought a piece of land for future development in the desolate, hopeless suburbs of the surrounded, defeated city of God. Where in this morning's lesson from Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, buy the field at Anatoth because all this overwhelming evidence to the contrary, houses and fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. The army of Nebuchadnezzar had surrounded the city and Jeremiah himself had been taken captive inside the temple compound. It was as hopeless a moment as anyone could imagine. And yet, God says to Jeremiah, buy some land right here because houses and vineyards and fields will again be bought in this place. Just a little hope note in the face of despair. A small sign of the great truth that one never knows what God might yet do. A 
small sign of the great truth that from wherever we stand, we have a future with God. Because while God may not always protect us from the worst, God does always travel with us through the worst. And it is God's nature to ring for us from the worst. A new life which, while we were in the worst, we never could have dreamed or imagined. Earlier this week, I was praying my way through our church role. Abel, Adams, Aiden, Aldridge, Alexander, Allen, Woolley, Worley, Wyatt, Wiley, Yates, Yelverton. Well over 400 families. And as I stopped over each name and pondered the struggles and burdens, sorrows and fears of which I'm aware among those many families, it occurred to me that people who do not belong to a family of faith do not have any fewer struggles or sorrows, illnesses or deaths than those of us who do belong to a family If we are different from the world around us, it is not because we live with less pain. If we are different from the world around us, it is because we live with more hope. As William Sloan Coffin once said, faith gives us so much more to think about in the deepest and worst and hardest of life, in life's most hopeless moments. We have all the same things to think about that everybody else has to think about. But in addition to everything else that everyone else has to think about, because we are people of faith, we have more to think about. We have to think about what new depth God might reveal to us and what new life God might resurrect for us from this terrible, un bearable pain through which we are having to go. I call that leaving room in the room for God. 
It's the kind of hope which would cause Jeremiah to buy property for future development in a place where there was at the moment no future to be seen. Believing that someday, somehow, some way, things would be better. Or as one wise soul once said, things will not always hurt the way they do now. Or as C.S. Lewis once wrote, the one prayer God will not answer is the prayer for an encore. God will not give us back the good old days, but God will give us good new days. Hope notes, which despite all the sometimes overwhelming evidence to the contrary, ring true to us because while a lifetime in church has not spared us from the worst that life can bring, a lifetime in church has formed us into people of such uncurable hope that we wouldn't know how not to leave room in the room for God. Amen.